0: Alright, so this morning we look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and as a bit of overlap, we look at verses 4 to 11, and this morning we'll be discussing and examining what are spiritual gifts. Uh, This time we lead in with the the introduction, and then the next time we'll look at the actual uh, spiritual gifts. But I wanted us to first read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a few verses to give us our context this morning. Uh, So we'll look at uh, verse one and then just read down uh, through the immediate context. Verse one of first Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit and to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another, the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. We'll stop there. May God bless the reading of his word. As I mentioned, we look at uh, this morning, what are the spiritual gifts? Paul first. Uh, Explained why they were necessary to counter the Corinthian division that was brought upon the uh, the saints in Corinth at that time uh, due to the schism that was developing. Paul first explained in those very few verses that I read this morning why the spiritual gifts were necessary. So first he looks at why they're necessary. And then here in our context, as we look at verse four and beyond, Uh, He wanted to explain to the Corinthians what the spiritual gifts were. More specifically, Paul explained the purpose for the spiritual gifts and the source behind the gifts. The gifts also have a context in the church. And I would say that as we look at the spiritual gifts, as you study about the spiritual gifts and why Paul even mentions what he says concerning the spiritual gifts, You recognize that the church is their only context. The church is the only place that the spiritual gifts function and function as they ought to. So the gifts also function to grow the church. So the the church is growing based on the practice and exercise of the gifts. So then Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand the distribution of the gifts. So that is a part of the what. In order for us to understand what the actual gifts are you have to understand understand who gave the gifts in the first place and so many begin to uh dive into what it means to uh to practice the gifts or what the gifts are and they never talk about who gave the gifts and i think that once we begin to discuss that uh together once we learn about those things together then we can further examine what gifts are operative and which uh gifts are inoperative in the modern context with which we live. But they all find their necessity, they're all uh, finding their necessity in the life of the church so that the church may be unified and the church may grow. And so whatever was concerning the gifts has contributed to what is today, meaning whatever gifts were practiced then, those gifts contributed to the church's uh, foundation and the church being established and growing as it has today. And so we have to understand that all of them are and were important. So when we look at the gifts, we'll examine exactly what they are and we'll examine why they are practiced in the manner that they are. But they have their context in the church, in the life of the church. We have to say that first and you have to understand that in order for us to be able to move forward concerning the gifts. And listen, it was important Important enough for Paul to say this to the Corinthians, but important for them to know how they receive the gifts them. I'm referring to the Corinthians first, because this letter has a historical context. You and I don't start just applying things to ourselves and to the modern church without understanding the historical context of who this truly belongs to. I say that because Paul mentions its importance in How do you receive spiritual gifts, O Corinthians? And then it was important for them to know who gave them the gifts. And I know that's a simple thing to say, but if you really think about it, he tells them in a more uh, prohibitive way why it's important. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12 now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, the first thing we talked about last time that he says in, in addressing them as brethren is he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He doesn't want them to be unaware. He wants them to know and he wants them to know how these gifts operate, but also know how not to practice the gifts. And so he starts there first in the first couple of verses, but he wants them to be aware. He wants them to know. So there shouldn't be any confusion concerning the gifts. And we talked about that last time, that if you bring up spiritual gifts, immediately people in their minds, if you say, well, we're learning about the spiritual gifts, there's a tension and and there's a certain uh, where people are surprised that you're learning or, or being taught or teaching the spiritual gifts as though it's something we must ignore. But that's not the case, because Paul said, I want you uh, I do not want you to be unaware. I want you to know what these gifts are and I want you to know how they function. And all the things that we examine in these verses Just stating the case for why we're pushing forward into this. It was all necessary for the Corinthians to know so they would be unified together. So this was all necessary for the Corinthians to know so they would be unified together. So learning about the spiritual gifts and learning about the nuances of the spiritual gifts and ultimately the source of the gifts brings unity. It brings unity to the life of the church. And he also there's a second part to this. He also believed it was necessary for the Corinthians to know so that they could fight against the schism and division that threatened the body of Christ. It's why when we read this morning down to verse 14, he almost begins to make that case of a unified body in Christ is a strong body in Christ. That's how we measure our strength. We're only as strong as our unity in Christ, true unity. And so Paul puts that in the context of the spiritual gifts, but it's also true related to why those gifts are practiced and those gifts being tied to the soundness within the body. First, we established the Corinthians were to know everything Paul mentioned here about the gifts. They were to know everything Paul mentioned here about the gifts. They were to know why the gifts Why the gifts were established in the church. So why they were to know that they were to know who gave them the gifts and then how to distinguish between the correct and incorrect use of the gifts. Because it's as we've said before, in every area where there is holiness, where there is what God has designed or decreed, there's going to be an attack from Satan and his people against those things. The spiritual gifts are no exception. That the spiritual gifts are something that we must know. We must know their source. We must be able to distinguish if they're being properly practiced or if they're incorrectly practiced, if they're being properly defined or redefined in a wicked way. And if those things are taking place, then we have to be able to distinguish what God has said versus what man is doing. So, first, as we go back to verse 4. Paul explained in verse four that there were different gifts operative in the life of the church. So that's the first thing that we must know, that there were different gifts. He says in verse four, now there are varieties of gifts. So there are different gifts that are operative in the life of the church. But you must also know that those gifts are all established by the spirit. They're all established by the spirit because he says There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And even before that, you see that all of this is the spirit's work because he even talks about the common confession of Jesus is Lord versus those who are blaspheming and saying Jesus is accursed. And I believe that that took place in the realm of prophecy. But Paul is saying that all of this ties back to the Holy Spirit. All these gifts are established by the spirit. That's another thing we can note as we begin to work our way from verse four all the way throughout, that all the gifts are established by the Spirit. He is the source of the gifts because he's the one who distributes the gifts. And those gifts specifically point to true fellowship that Christians have in Christ. Because remember, you have to tie this to the total work of the Spirit And you have to look at what the work of the spirit is and part of his work is to take that which belongs to christ and reveal it to us but also his work is to exalt christ and to honor christ and to cause us to do the same so the gifts have that function and i think that what you'll begin to realize is once you understand all that then you begin to understand if gifts are the ones that are practiced today are either counterfeit or are they gifts that truly belong to the gifts that are located uh, within the context of the Lord's church, and if those gifts are practiced rightly. But make no mistake, the gifts, the spiritual gifts, they ultimately serve to worship Christ. They bring attention, reverence, and glory to Christ. That's what the gifts are, and that's what the gifts do. There are a distinction in the gifts. So it's not just one gift and it's not just a couple gifts. There are differing gifts. There are varieties of gifts, as Paul says in verse four, and then details how the gifts are given. So that varieties of gifts tells us how they're given and how they're received. By this, I mean on a human level, as we look at this, as we look at the Spirit's work looking upward versus the Spirit looking toward us uh, in glory and doing what he does and within us, uh, being within us. It simply said different people receive different gifts. Different people receive different gifts. But all the gifts can be traced to the same Holy Spirit. So different people receive different gifts, but all the gifts can be traced to the same Holy Spirit. It's going to be important as we look at this for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So all of the spiritual gifts have their foundation in the truth. So that's also equally important. As we look at the gifts, I want you to understand that there is unity, but that unity is defined. There's unity in distinction, meaning although different people receive different gifts and practice those different gifts, there's a unity in how those gifts are practiced. There's a unity in how those gifts are received and the context in which they're practiced. There's also unity in purpose. Well, why is there unity in purpose? Is that because men are clever and they somehow uh, have tied themselves together? No, there's unity in purpose because remember, the source of these gifts Is the Holy Spirit. And then there's unity in the source. There's unity in the source. The Holy Spirit will not do one thing on this side to invalidate God's overall work. And then on this side, he'll exalt God's work. That's not how the Spirit works. The Spirit, everywhere he operates, operates in the same way. And that is to exalt and honor Christ, to build Christ up. He doesn't put men forward as objects of affection and worship. Instead, he brings Christ forward. And so therein we see the unified practice of the gifts found in the source, in the the person. There is solidarity in these gifts, or at least should be now as we step back and i'll get to the point in verse five but as we step back and look at this you can see why you have to be very careful about hearing what people say versus watching what people do because so many and i have heard this chapter in just about every so-called christian context i can find but so many are saying well these are the gifts of the spirit well here's how the gifts of the spirit function well this is the gifts of the Spirit, and these things are not the gifts of the Spirit. But you have to understand that the Spirit here speaks for Himself. He speaks for Himself. And as we work this out and begin to move through, you're going to see for yourself how the Spirit operates. Also, in verse 5, there are different contexts within service as the gifts are practiced. That's what Paul wants. First, the Corinthians to know, and by extension, you and I need to know these things. But there are different contexts within service as the gifts are practiced. He says, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Now, again, the source of that is the spirit. It doesn't mean a preferential difference between service and so-called ministries. Well, they prefer to do this. And they can be doctrinally off and we prefer to do this. That is not what the word says. It's talking about the context with which those gifts are practiced, that those are differing and there's a variety of that. But there's not a variety in the truth and there's certainly not a variety in the source. So, in fact, there is agreement in these areas. There's total and unilateral agreement. And where there's not agreement, you can be sure that something man-centered has entered it. That somehow the glory of God and of Christ and the work and power of the spirit is somewhere uh, and in some way attacked. Because this is all very simple language that you see so far. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Different contexts within service As the gifts are practiced, because that's what ministry is and that's what it means. These different individuals practice the gifts in distinct ministries, that is to say, distinct services that they serve in these contexts and these gifts are operative. But do not miss what is said in the latter part of verse five. And the same Lord and the same Lord. They are by the same Lord. The gifts then in their practice and how they function, they can be traced to the same Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not changing in one context versus another. The Lord is not changing in one context versus another. The Spirit is not assaulting himself. And permitting error in one context, as long as everybody is emotionally stimulated. And then on the other side, there is a stillness, but yet there's no life. In all of this, what you see is a dynamic working of people together in fellowship and those gifts being operative in their context. And we'll talk about the limitations of that context, because all of this is tempered by our understanding of the new covenant. But it is by the same Lord. It is by the same Lord. What is distinct here is the serving context where the gifts are practiced. It is the spirit of God who knows the needs of God's people. He knows. them. Remember, he searches the mind of God. He knows us in our depths. Therefore, he determines what gifts are necessary. He determines what gifts are needed, and he determines how they function in that context. It is simply by faith that we practice them, but we're to know what they are and to know which ones are practiced, which ones are operative in the context with which we find ourselves. But what is distinct here is the serving context where the gifts are practiced. But listen, all of which is within the body of Christ. All of this is within the body of Christ. The church. These gifts are functioning in the life of the church. Not buildings and programs. When I say the church, I don't mean buildings and programs. I mean God's people, the body, the things that... Paul is going to talk about as we move through this context in verses 11 and beyond. So Paul is concerned about the church, not buildings and programs, but living vessels serving one another, living vessels serving one another. I believe it was in Romans where we talked about, and I think it came up in Corinthians 2, where Paul is wanting the people to know That he's not trying to help them build infrastructure. He's trying to help them serve one another. The Corinthians in verse one and in uh, I'm sorry, in chapter one and in chapter three, they were building infrastructure. They were building a government, a system of schism within the church with leaders and factions at the head. And Paul said, no. I want you to build up one another. I want you to build up one another. Don't build infrastructure, build up the church, the true church. And build up one another. And in building up one another, guess what is built up? The church. It is the true sense of we are the church. We gather together in fellowship together in a place that's unique and set aside to do so. But we are the church. The body of Christ is the church. And so the gifts, I'm saying that because I want you to be convinced that the gifts function in that context. What is distinct here is the serving context. Okay, so living vessels are in view, living vessels, because this is the spirit's work. The spirit's work is not to uh, bring life to inanimate objects. He doesn't look at a building and go, that building must be born again. No, it's people. He's causing people to be made anew, to be born again, to be raised up into spiritual life and then to serve one another. And in all that bringing honor and glory to Christ, because that's how God decreed it. That's what God wants. And the gifts are simply a, uh, a sense in which or a context in which that building up happens one to another. But then Paul further presses the point for the Corinthians in verse six. There are varieties of effects. Now, some might point to that and go, ah, see, aha. That means that there can be a certain overly charismatic expression of such gift. And there could be a conservative expression of such gift. And then in that, you and I are to figure out how emotionally stimulated we are. And that makes the gifts relevant. But that's not the case. I'm going to tell you why. It's right in the verse. But more to our point, there are a variety of effects. But look at what he says again. But the same God. But the same God. The same God who works all things in all persons. Do you know that that's measurable? How is that measurable? His word. We measure that by his word. The variety's effects are not things that are done in a sloppy way. Or some man does something or some men do something and it's something uh, humanistically just genius. And somehow we all rally behind that. That's not what's in view here. What's in view is God being the source, even in the effect of the gifts. So he presses in on that. And he presses in on that for us to help us understand, along with the Corinthians, that the gifts don't do one thing in one person, that they have a variety of, of effects. I believe it also deals with, by implication, the outcome, the outcome, what the gifts essentially produce. There are a variety of effects. The same gift, listen to this, may be distributed to different people in different contexts. The same gift may be distributed to different people in different contexts. I would say in different eras. E-R-A-S. But those gifts have different and distinct effects upon all who receive the blessing of the gifts in practice. Let me repeat that for you. The same gift may be distributed to different people in different context. But those gifts have different and distinct effects upon all who receive the blessing of the gifts in practice. I mean that in the most positive way, because the gifts are a blessing, but how they are manifested There's a distinction in that at times. But listen to this. We must go with what is not true. What is not true is the idea that the gifts would have an effect apart from the Lord and the Holy Spirit. That would be false to think that we can practice the gifts and the effect upon you is something that happens that has nothing to do with Christ. That has nothing to do with his truth, his word, his church, salvation, sanctification, glorification. That is uh, sanctification to be cleansed. And the ongoing work of cleansing and that we were declared cleansed from the start and then glorification. We will be made like him and see him as he is face to face. The gifts are driving Christians toward that point. But the gifts can be examined and tested, as you'll see as we move forward in the text. They can be tested and authenticated by his word. But guess who is distributing the gifts? The Holy Spirit. So when people walk up and say, I have the gift of, and they proceed to practice the gift, and the gift is absolutely wrong, out of bounds, and has nothing to do with the word. It was not given to them, whatever they're doing was not given to them by Christ and by the spirit. And it wasn't given to them to exalt Christ. Whatever they're doing, however eloquent, however they think they're babbling, whatever the case may be, however these things are manifested in the minds of the modern evangelical confessing so-called church today, and they practice these things, they must be tied to God and to his truth and to the actual work of the spirit. There has been a lot of warfare, especially amongst charismatics, but the conservative so-called evangelicals are guilty as well. There's been a lot of warfare declared against the actual work of the Holy Spirit. So many have said, let's teach or practice the work of the Holy Spirit. And then they go off and do something that has nothing to do with the spirit of Christ, actually the spirit of Antichrist. And they're saying, well, that this particular thing I'm doing is the work of the spirit. And some of it's emotional frenzy. Some of it's the power of suggestion, crowd control, manipulation, emotional pressure on people to look and act and conduct themselves a certain way. And we're all saying that those are spiritual gifts. Those are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts bring a sobriety to the church. They bring a sobriety to the church. But that I don't mean stoicism. I mean, that people are actually doing what God has asked them to do. And they're so sure of what they have received because the spirit is affirming and confirming in them what they're doing. And it's all tested and measured by the word. So it's not true that the gifts would have an effect apart from the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Paul actually begins there. If you look back to verses one and two again, and also verse three that people are claiming to have the gift of prophecy and they're saying things that a prophet would not say. Well, therefore you do not have the gift of prophecy because prophets don't speak that way. You can call yourself whatever you like, but you don't have the gift of prophecy. And if you're saying Jesus is a, is a cursed, you don't have salvation. You need to have salvation in order to practice the gifts because the gifts are for the church. The spiritual gifts would also not be distributed to people who are spiritually dead. The gifts are not distributed to people who are spiritually dead. People are running around saying this is my spiritual gift and they don't have spiritual life. If you're dead in your sins, you don't have spiritual gifts because the prerequisite for spiritual gifts would be to be born again from above by the spirit who is giving the gifts. So when false teachers and false Christians, no, that's a moniker, but those who are professing to be Christians, when they're saying that they have all these gifts, that those aren't gifts. You have to have the gift of eternal life to have spiritual gifts. And then we can talk about which ones are operative and inoperative. But often people don't even visit with the fact that I need to test myself to see if I'm in the faith before they launch into what gifts they actually have. The spirit of truth, listen to this, does not give the gifts to those who promote the spirit of error. The spirit of truth does not give the gifts to those who promote the spirit of error. One way this comes out is when we get to tongues. And so many argue about tongues. I think that's just one that people like to argue about but it's actually very clear once you begin to dive into all the things that need to be said about it but i'll say this oftentimes on both sides of it and whatever sides there are you have people arguing about tongues and neither one of them are sound so they need to be testing themselves to see if they're in the faith before they arrive at how we define tongues it makes no sense to be right on an issue if you're not right with the Lord. It makes no sense to be wrong on an issue and pretend to be right with the Lord. But there is a right and wrong. There is a way for us very specifically to understand gifts, their cessation, their continuation or lack thereof. There's not ignorance on this issue You don't get to choose what you believe about these issues. The sophisticated so-called theologian of today wants to choose from his lofty estate which ones he agrees with, which ones he doesn't. These are clear. They're distributed by the spirit and the spirit defines them. And when he defines them, then we can distinguish which ones are operative. We'll get into more of that later. But the spirit of truth does not give the gifts to those who promote the spirit of error. As soon as someone does or says something that is against Christ, they don't have any of the spiritual gifts. They don't have salvation. So they can wax eloquent all day about what the gifts are. They don't have any of them. The spirit of truth does not give the gifts to those who promote the spirit of error. The spirit of truth does not give the gifts to those who promote schism and factions. You realize why so many so called churches are cold? Well, they're cold because they are established on factions demonstrating the absence of spiritual life, demonstrating the absence of those who may truly be born again Christians, and they're trying to function like they have gifts that were never given to them. That is very difficult to do. I'm sure you could go about having good business, good relations but it won't look like the spiritual gifts. It won't look like the spiritual gifts because only the spirit of God can do that. It's the same thing about pretending to be a Christian. You can look the part, I suppose, for a while, but after a while, you won't look like a Christian if the spirit of God has not caused you to be born again from above. The gifts here, listen to this, do not lead people to sin. The gifts do not lead people to sin. What I'm getting into is the manifestation of the gifts as we see them in verse seven. I'm driving in that direction, but I wanted to make it clear to you some things that we need to understand about them. The gifts here do not lead people to sin. Nor do the gifts stimulate sin, incite sin within us or incubate sin. By that, I mean it doesn't babysit sin in us. It doesn't cause us to be okay with sin. The gifts here do not lead people to sin. If you think of all the gifts that are mentioned. And if there are any ways where people are comfortable using or I should say misusing whatever they're saying those gifts are and the outcome of it is sin, disunity, and any other practice of sin, even some here that Paul is addressing, you can be sure that the gifts are not operative. You have many of a so-called continuationist who are arguing that the gifts continue and they're not even in Christ. You have many who are arguing that the gifts has ceased and they're not in Christ. But the point is, there is a, a line to be held, and we're going to hold that line. But in order to hold that line, you have to understand the source. You have to understand why the gifts were given. You have to say, am I practicing the gifts as are distributed? Which ones do I practice? Which ones are no longer practiced? It's not us doing it. It's the spirit distributing and us trying to walk in what he's distributed. It's as much a part of stewardship as it is a part of fellowship. But the gifts do not lead people to sin. As you think about these things, you can begin to disqualify. What particular actions people are taking as they try to tie those actions to a teaching on the spiritual gifts. Because the way in which the gifts are practiced, we'll get to in verse. Uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 13. They're practiced in love. When the gifts are not practiced in Love. You're not watching the spiritual gifts in practice. That's why I said this is a very specific thing that we're about to embark on as we understand the context set before us. But the gifts do not lead people to sin. The gifts do not stimulate sin or incubate sin. Paul Paul uses in verse three. What I believe to be prophecy as the first example without identifying that's what it is. But it's the spoken word that speaks about Christ. That's the source of all prophecy. But that has to be true. It has to be true concerning Christ. And it is not true that Jesus is accursed. It is true that Jesus is Lord. More to our point in verse six, there are a varieties of Effects. But the same God who works all things in all persons. And then Paul, he explains this by another reason the gifts were given. Now, let's pause here, because as you understand, uh, God is working in all of his people and we'll get into this. But it is as much as what we see and also as much as what we see practiced. So the same God is working all things and all persons. We don't determine that God determines that because if left to us, we'll determine God's work by the number of people who get excited about something. The number of people involved with something or some other means that we will say God is at work. And that's what people say. God is at work because they feel good about it. Maybe it's making money. But for God to be at work, he determines what that means. And I believe as we begin to walk backward from our vantage point through church history, because the church of Corinth and the letter to them is very much also church history for us. As we look back at what God was doing, we can then also look forward and say it's very consistent. It's very consistent who God is and how he has worked in his church. That at times there were differing effects, differing gifts at work. But that doesn't mean that God did something that was other than his own perfection. So Paul further explained this by another reason the gifts were given, that God works all things in all persons. Well, he works in all persons to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. Namely, they are given for the common good. Look at verse seven. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit For the common good. They are given for the common good. This is one to another. Believer to believer. Believers to believers. This is not utilitarianism. The idea that actions are right if they benefit the many. You just got out of this. With all the things that are happening in the world around you. That the actions don't have to make sense. The actions can actually be unlawful. And there can be people who hate each other on both sides of it. But as long as it is perceived to benefit the, the many. Because the hypocrisy of utilitarianism is it doesn't benefit the many. It benefits the few. They're just saying they benefit the many. But you know why that's wrong? Because you'll hear people say what we do, we do for the common good. Paul's not saying that. It's why you have to believe in very specific things concerning the word all. He is not promoting the idea that actions are right if they benefit the many. He's correcting that idea. That's what they were already practicing. Because that's a part of the world system. But that's why that's wrong. Because to do so without understanding the common good in its context that he's referring to... You then place your source of things and how they happen in men, and men have temporal objectives if they're not spiritually alive. Meaning, men only think about their place in this world when they're not, uh, when when they don't have their hope fixed in eternity. So when they say they're doing things for the common good, they simply mean your station in this life. There's no transcendence. There's no hope of a return of Christ in what they're doing or saying. And I would say that that has crept into the church as well. In many regards, but that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying to serve the pragmatic, I'm sorry, the pragmatic belief that we must achieve. He's not saying this, that we must achieve the common good. Because listen to this and think very clearly. As I know you are. Typically, one who presides over the common good must use some form of exploitation or manipulation. The one who says, I'm doing this for all of you with no Bible tied to it, with no uh, worship and honor of Christ tied to it. They must use some means always of exploitation and manipulation. You've seen this. You know what this is. You know what this looks like. But I'll put forward to you that Paul is mentioning another common good. And thankfully, we can define what it is. The common good to which Paul refers is what he's been saying all along. It's sourced in the Holy Spirit. It's God determining what is good for his people. That is how the gifts are distributed and the gifts are operated. And guess what? They're from the Lord himself. He says it, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, manifestation of the Spirit. The spirit showing things concerning himself, concerning how that ties to the work of Christ, ultimately and primarily how God is working and at work in his people. All that thing is measurable. All those things are measurable. But it is practiced then to achieve his purposes. So you can be sure when common good is mentioned, it's practice to achieve his purposes. Many will say, especially in the context of. Today's church that they are achieving God's purpose. You hear it all the time. God is at work. We're doing the work of God. We're doing the will of God. And everybody says these things. But you look and see what they are doing is their wills, their wills with a faded rubber stamp that they claim is God's hands on things. But they're doing their own wills. Paul was clear that this common good to which the gifts achieved has its origins in the triune God. You can trace that. You can see that. You can test that. You can measure that. But you have to tie it to what you know to be true concerning God's work in many of the areas that he works that the Bible reveals to us, such as the church. Such as in salvation, such as among the Jews, among the Gentiles. In the time of the different covenants of the past, as they help us understand the new covenant that we in, the work of Christ in the Gospels, his work in the epistles. His work at the end of the age, the last days, you have to tie what is said about the common good to all those things. Paul is clear that this has its source in God himself. It is to build up the body then it is distinct from the world and the effects lead to the to, uh, to the Lord who gave the gifts. And he says that this is for. The same God. The same God does this for all persons and he works all things in all persons. Now, listen, this is limited. This is limited. It's why you can't have Hypothetical. philosophical uh, uh, philosophical conclusions when you see the word all he's talking about all believers all believers so let me put before you he's not limiting the scope of god's power he's limiting the intent of god's power and when you limit the intent of god's power god is still powerful he's choosing to bestow his power on those whom he has chosen it's not that his power somehow decreases because it's not hypothetically exhaustive god is not trying to figure out who wants some gifts who wants spiritual gifts and they don't even want him he gives them to believers those whom he has called whom he has called to himself so all here is limited by its context if it's limited here in its context you need to study in other places how all might be limited to the context to which it refers. Or else you're in a very dangerous place here of thinking that God hypothetically has hypothetical gifts ready to hypothetically distribute. And that's not what we believe. He's giving definite gifts to definite believers. We cannot wrongly believe that unbelievers are in view to receive something such as the spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit to achieve God's purposes. Think of this, what would be at stake? Well, then they come into the church, as you'll see here in Corinthians, and they begin to say and practice and do things that have nothing to do with God. In fact, some begin to say, well, we're the individuals whom God has given gifts to, and here is the context we must practice them. Those are the super apostles, the false apostles who will show up. We know that God is not giving gifts to those who are unbelievers. It's not happening because elsewhere, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, chapter two, verse 14, the natural man cannot receive the things of God. The natural man, he doesn't want to, nor is he in view to. The natural man is not going to receive spiritual gifts. He doesn't want them. So this all is limited to the context of believers. Paul would not contradict that here. He would not operate against himself here. Instead, he is clear that these all people and all things are limited, not necessarily in power, but in scope of that power. So there's a definite reach in the power of distributing the gifts to the believers for the power of practicing the true gifts of the spirit were to be evident among the Corinthians. As we close, I want you to understand that this is not simply about the greater community of Christians, this idea of the greater community of Christians. I'll tell you where I'm getting that from. It is intimately for the individual to receive. When you receive the spirit's gift, you know what those gifts are or the gift is, you know, the purpose for which that gift ought to be practiced. As a church, we need one another and we specifically need one another's gifts. And we know that those gifts are meant to achieve the good of one another, therefore the benefit of one another. Not simply the kind of good that man desires for himself and then calls it good. This is when God does something and says, this is for your good. And I'm going to show you how and why it's for your good. And by faith, put it into practice and see that it's good. I say that because the intimacy is in verse seven. But to each one, to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So he talks about all persons, but all people collectively aren't operating in the same way related to the gifts. Meaning they don't all have the same gift operating with the same effect in the same context at times. But they all bring forward the common good, and each one is given their gift. Each one. It's the individual working together. In order to bring about the building up of one another together. So Christianity is a very intimate thing. The gifts are very intimate. And next time we'll look at specifically what they are. Let's pray.